And now, podcasting from a two-person hot tub high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK, Rick, and their highly paid intern, Malort. Today is Monday, August 9th, 2021, and over the last 17 months or so, We've done a podcast with our good friend Pamela Dunley, the president and CEO of Elmer's Memorial Hospital. Um, almost every week, we we did one during COVID, and uh, about a month ago, a little more than that, we decided that uh, with the pandemic kind of winding down, that we would uh, change it to a once-a-month interview and have a, a really interesting topic each month that relates to Elmer's Memorial Hospital, and uh, that's what we're going to do, but... We're back in the pandemic. It's it's kind of ramping up a little bit. So we do have Pam Dunley, the president and CEO of the hospital. How are you, Pam? I'm great, and it's good to be talking to you again, but it's not so good that we have to talk about the pandemic again. That's right. And I am looking out my window, and it is overcast, so that's probably a sign about what's to come. And we also have Marcy Lafito, who is the assistant vice president and Chief Nursing Officer at the hospital, and we'll be talking with her in a few minutes. How are you, Marcy? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Oh, glad to have you. So let's start, and if either one of you want to jump in on any of the questions, that's fine. But Pam, I I assume you'll be handling most of the questions on, on COVID. So can you give us an update on what your current patient census is, which was nearly nothing the last time we talked? And actually, the last time we talked was June 25th, and on that day, there were zero patients in the hospital and zero waiting results. And now, today, we are up to 19 patients in the hospital with two of them on ventilators and two patients awaiting results. So that's And that's quite a climb over the weekend. We were running in the last few weeks zero then one or two, then four or five, or, and maybe at the end of the week we're around eight or nine, and now we're all the way up to 19, which is dramatic and a little concerning. Do you have any information on whether those folks are typically vaccinated or not vaccinated? I can tell you um, that half of them are vaccinated and half of them are not vaccinated. And um, basically the ones that are vaccinated are, have less severe illness, and the half that are the, the ones that were not vaccinated have more severe severe illness, and the ones that were vaccinated have less severe illness. And the two that are on ventilators were not vaccinated. And I, I also looked into the age ranges, mm-hmm. and um, the age ranges are from 38 to 87. Because I was wondering if it was a younger crowd, but it seems to be still a large range of people. And I just wanted to say, in terms of DuPage County, when we talked last, we were at 92,446, and now they're at 94,926. The state went from 1,393,321 to 1,446,58. And then um, deaths, our deaths that we had back then were 188, and we are uh, just had two over the last little over a month, which was really good. So that's, that's the positive news, is that we have not had um, a lot of deaths over this time period. And our discharges went from 1,846 to 1,878 uh, discharges. Still using pretty much the same treatment 
uh, that you were a couple months ago? Yes, the okay. same treatment. Okay. Um, do you test at the hospital the particular variant that a patient has? I know you weren't earlier on, but we keep hearing about the Delta variant. Do do you know if it's the Delta variant that most people are, are coming down with? So we don't test for the variants. We don't have the equipment to do that. Only some specialized labs have that equipment. Um, and in order for us to have testing done on any of our samples, we have to have authorization from IDPH. And then we send the specimen to, to Chicago IDPH State Lab, and that's where they do the testing. What we've heard is approximately 70% of the COVID we're seeing now is a Delta variant, but we don't have an exact percentage because many of our, our samples do not get tested. So do they just do that at certain hospitals and then they kind of extrapolate, interpolate, whatever they do to, to figure out, you know, what it's, how it's affecting the entire population? That's my understanding. Now that uh, the vaccines have, have been around for a while, the the Johnson and Johnson, the Pfizer and the Moderna. Has there been any um, change in the effectiveness levels that, you know, where they've tweaked them because real world data has shown something different than their testing? So not that we have seen. The three vaccines still remain effective. And however, we know this is a very fluid situation. And so information will be constantly changing. So when you hear one thing from me today, you'll hear something else in the news tomorrow. But at this moment, they've not changed anything in the vaccines, and they still remain effective. And I know that getting vaccinated is still very, very important. Um, have you seen a lot of serious illnesses from people getting va the vaccine other than COVID? We've seen patients admitted where there was a concern after vaccination. However, it was ruled out that it was directly related to the vaccine, so it was another underlying medical condition. Um, and also we've seen patients admitted where they received their first vaccine and they were subsequently admitted a week later with COVID and they were exposed within the time frame of receiving their first shot. So those are the kinds of things we've seen, nothing dramatic um, that was directly re related to the vaccine. You know, over the last year and a half, we talked a lot about asymptomatic people passing on COVID. And do you think that might be happening even at a higher rate now where a lot of folks that are vaccinated are asymptomatic because of the vaccination and are passing it on that way? Well, recent information has been released noting uh, there potentially could be a risk of vaccinated individuals transmitting COVID unknowingly. Uh, that's why the CDC has changed their re recommendation related to the masking indoors, uh, whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, because they have shown that people have no symptoms that are vaccinated and could potentially still be COVID positive and could be spreading the disease without knowing. So please mask. That's, the, that's why we are being more conservative in our masking um, re recommendations. Well, and you answered my next question, so thank you for that about, about masking. Can you give us an update on the percentage of your hospital employees that are vaccinated? Well, we really haven't moved the needle here. 71% of our hospital employees still are vaccinated. We haven't gone any more than that. Uh, we, do, we are recommending highly that we have more, but um, at this point, only 71% of our employees are vaccinated. The system's uh, seriously looking at a uh, vaccine mandate, but, um, you know, we haven't made that decision. The reasons why we would consider a vaccine mandate 
um, is because it is a healthcare environment and we have a duty uh, to protect our patients and each other from COVID. And so since we can't um, get people to get vaccinated without mandating, we may end up mandating, but we haven't made that final decision. And do you have any information on whether any of the vaccines are close to permanent authorization and not emergency? My understanding, and I heard it just like anybody else, is that they're getting closer to the Pfizer being um, FDA approved, fully approved, and I'm hoping that goes through quickly. We're hoping that happens within the next month, but, uh, you know, who knows? They had said that earlier and it didn't happen, so I'm hoping that it does. Where currently can an EE Health patient go and get a vaccine, um, and which vaccine or vaccines are available? So right now, the only place that we're giving vaccines is at our Downers Grove location um, for the Pfizer and our Lombard Immediate Care location for Johnson & Johnson. So we do have Pfizer at our Downers Grove, which is the one that's over by um, Butterfield and 355. Across from Home Depot, right? Across from Cooper's Hawk. Okay. <laughs> You're a little classier so, than I am. I I go by Home Depot as you go by fancy restaurants. Good for you. So that's right. So that's the best one for Pfizer. And then if somebody does want just the one shot, they can go to our immediate care in Lombard to get the Johnson & Johnson. And is it still, uh, if they want the Johnson & Johnson, they don't need an appointment, they can just show up. And if they want the, the Pfizer, they need to make an appointment? I, I think they can just show up at either one. But for sure, the Johnson & Johnson, they can just show up. Is there any new information about children that are not eligible for the vaccines that are under 12 and whether or not they're starting to get more serious cases of COVID, maybe with the, the new Delta variant? So what the news is and what we've been hearing is that um, in most cases, children, children are getting COVID. They are getting less severe cases. However, um, in the news, Jacksonville, Florida reported children were making up more of the surge of COVID hospitalizations than they had been experiencing. And I know in Arkansas, in Arkansas's Children's Hospital, they had seven kids in the ICU. They had many kids in the hospital, um, but seven of them were in their critical care. Um, so, you know, there is a surge in hospitalizations that have to do with children. It has been announced by the FDA that the COVID vaccine for children under 12 years of age will be available sometime midwinter of this year. And uh, any idea which vaccine that'll be? No, I don't know that. Okay. And um, lastly, as it relates to COVID, uh, do you have any new information related to whether there'll be boosters or annual vaccines required? Well, it's been in the news that a booster may be necessary, and it is centered around individuals who are immunocompromised. So maybe us that are healthy and are not immunocompromised may not need it, but we don't know yet. Um, you know, because of the Delta variant, it's a very fluid situation, and um, if it, again, morphs into another variant, we don't know what that will be like. So, you know, I know people get upset when you can't have black and white answers, and they think we don't know what we're doing. But the problem is that this is an ever-evolving situation. And so an answer today may be different tomorrow, depending on the news we have. So at this moment, it looks like boosters for immunocompromised individuals will be necessary. 
Well, uh, I hope when we talk uh, a month from now that the uh, the numbers are going in the right direction and we uh, we don't have to spend a bunch of time on COVID because uh, this is really really scary that it just it just keeps coming back. It almost seems like it's uh, you know a curve. It just bounce, bounces up, bounces down, bounces up, bounces down, and uh, hopefully people will get vaccinated and the vaccines will be effective. And the sooner they get them, the better, right? Absolutely. And I just want to do a plug. First of all, please mask. Please be social distancing. Please be smart. My daughter went to a wedding uh, last weekend and not this last weekend, the weekend before. And now there's an outbreak of COVID from that wedding. Uh, We don't know who started it, but it's just you have to be very careful. I know people are tired. People don't want to social distance. I 100 percent understand that. People need to go get on with their lives with weddings and other events, uh, but you still have to be smart. You still have to be careful. And if you're not vaccinated, you get at higher risk for something terrible happening, and you know that you don't want that to happen to anyone you love or know. So please get vaccinated. Please wear your mask um, and think about the others who are impacted when you don't do that. I, I know our nurses are so tired of having to put on the the protective equipment. They're tired of having to see patients suffering the way they are with this COVID. And we're all begging you that you take care of yourselves and realize that this is not something uh, that's going away very quickly. And that's a a great segue to to talk to uh, Marcy. And and again, Marcy Lafito is the, as of July 1st, the new assistant vice president and chief nursing officer at Elmhurst Memorial Hospital. So Marcy, give us a little information about your background, where you, uh, where you started in the, in the medical field and your career at Elmhurst Memorial Hospital. Sure, of course. Thanks for having me. Um, I have been a nurse for 28 years, and I have been at Elmhurst Hospital uh, it's 26 years as of June. So I started out as a bedside staff nurse working in oncology and cardiology. Um, I spent a couple years as an assistant manager on the cardiology floor. And then um, when I completed my master's degree, I worked as an advanced practice nurse supporting the cardiology physicians at Elmhurst Hospital. I did that for about 15 years. And then about seven years ago, I I went back kind of into formal leadership, working really closely with um, the population health initiatives and the accountable care organization. Um, on taking care of the overall health of patients through the community, through their continuum of care. And then I've spent um, the last uh, five to six years um, working closely with case management, care coordination. For the last four years, I was a system director of care coordination, which is working with our discharge planners, social workers, case managers in the hospital and in the emergency room, um, as well as working on the community partnerships Um, with our post-acute providers, so our home health, our nursing homes, and um, implemented a program where advanced practice nurses actually um, work out in our community nursing homes to help continue um, the care that we provide in the hospital out in the community, high-quality care. So as a chief nursing officer, the the title kind of tells us what you do, that you you are the the chief nurse in in the organization, but can you give us an idea of what we might not know that you do some areas of your responsibility that we might not even think about? Sure, of course. So the chief nursing officer really provides leadership at the very highest level to anywhere that nursing is practiced within the organization. So it's the hospital setting, the emergency rooms, the immediate cares, and then our ambulatory physician offices as well. 
Um, we participate in the strategic planning to ensure that patients are receiving safe and high quality care. Uh, nurses overall are involved in developing a nursing strategic plan that aligns with the overall strategic plan of our organization, kind of our roadmap to success. Um, also, to part of my role is to promote professional development through ongoing education and opportunities for our nurses to grow professionally within the system. Um, we have a, a program in the hospital right now to transition patients from floor nursing to the emergency room, um, and it's going really well. It allows them to grow within. And then also to promote and support what we call shared governance. That's a structure that allows nurses to own their own practice. So implement best practices, participate in research, and ensure quality of nursing practice. Uh, it's essentially empowering nurses to have a voice in how they practice. So I'll just say a couple words. Marcy's role, just to sum it up, <laughs> is to create the vision for nurses to empower the nurses to be able to own their practice, to be able to feel fulfilled in their jobs, to help these nurses through this crisis, to make sure they want to work here, and, and to be the voice for nursing through the senior leadership so that nurses have what they need to practice well. Do you have an idea just off the top of your heads how many nurses work for Elmhurst Memorial Hospital? I, it's a lot, right? Yeah. It's a big number. There's a lot of them. Hundreds, yeah. Yeah, so it's a it's a very large area of responsibility. So, um, and in and in the, these times of COVID, it's it's got to be really tough in the in the profession too. But can you talk a little bit about the hospital's affiliation with the plain tree method of care? What that is and how important that is to your job and all the nurses at the hospital? Yeah, of course. I think overall, um, plain tree is important. It's it's um, our dedication to person-centered care. So that's for our patients, their families, and our own staff. Um, and Plain Tree really provides us with the foundation to build this strong, compassionate culture and, help, and gives us kind of a roadmap through their evidence-based practices to um, implement that. The, the basic principles of Plain Tree are to personalize, humanize, and demystify the healthcare experience for everyone. So it's really um, working at every level to set up a physical environment, an emotional environment, a supportive environment to provide the best um, care for our patients and their families, as well as to give patients, families, and staff a voice in how things are done. So it really makes a difference to the families in particular, doesn't it? Yes. Yep. So I know that uh, there are a lot of sectors of the economy that are really having trouble staffing and a lot of it's in the hospitality industry but in the nursing profession the stress of covid just has to be overwhelming and i just wonder if if you're experiencing nursing shortages from either early retirements or people not going into nursing and and how tough it is to to find nurses right now yeah that's a great question and we definitely are experiencing the same kind of um, staffing challenges that a lot of the other healthcare um, systems in our region and nation, as well as other industries, are um, experiencing due to the pandemic. I think we're seeing exactly what you said. We're seeing some retirements that may have happened earlier than than planned. We've also seen a lot of um, people transitioning maybe out of state due to personal reasons or spouses or family members that that had job situations change. Um, and then a general shift to other areas of nursing practice, right, that are not at the bedside and, and quite as um, intense as it's been lately. 
So we overall are working really closely with um, human resources and senior administration on retention and recruitment initiatives right now, um, implementing creative strategies to support our nursing staff as we hire and train new staff. We've engaged the nurses in generating new ideas, um, hence the transition to the ED program I talked about where we have professional growth within the system. We have the new um, nurse residency programs um, that were were happening once a year. This past year, we actually did two sessions of that. And this, the um, newest RN residents, there's about 30 of them actually starting this week. So that takes some time and training and orienta orientation. Um, I don't know that we've seen yet a hit to the new nurses coming out, but I don't know if that will be coming. Um, and then finally, we also have implemented just healing teams, um, healing support coordinators within our organizations to help provide emotional support to our staff during the during and what we did call post-pandemic that's kind of back to during. You mentioned the, uh, the program where you're getting floor nurses experience in the emergency department. So is, is there a shortage of nurses in particular in ER? I think we're feeling the crunch across the board right now. I do think that the ED is one of the focus areas. I think they were pretty heavily hit during the pandemic with the, with um, their volumes and the number of patients that came through and just um, the level of, of um, emotional toll. But I do think we're seeing it across the board. One last question, and it's, it's how uh, you as a chief nursing officer work with uh, the leadership of the physicians to ensure, uh, you know, great outcomes for patient health. And I, I assume that there's a, a committee that you are on with physician leadership? Yeah, so there's actually probably multiple committees that I'm on with physician leadership. And I think one of the, the um, good things for me is having worked as an advanced practice nurse in this organization, having been here so long, I have good, strong relationships with a lot of the physicians. Um, I'm in the process of kind of redefining the relationships and what do they need from me in this role. But I also have a, a strong um, partnership with the chief medical officer. So we definitely collaborate with each other to promote teamwork and communication between the nurses, physicians, other members of the healthcare team. We work together to develop protocols and evidence-based guidelines for care that ensures um, that we have processes in place to provide care to our patients and their families that's safe, seamless, and personal. So Rich, I just wanna say, when we think about the physicians and the nursing staff, both have been equally um, affected by COVID in terms of the stress on their lives, the burnout that they're experiencing, you know, maybe even thinking about things in their life and am I doing it the way I want to in the future? So when Marcy said people are moving out of state, I think there's, there's a lot of people choosing new lives because of the fact that this, this has altered their perception of what they're enjoying and what they don't enjoy and family being very important, maybe changing careers. I'm worried. I'm worried that we're not going to have enough nurses. I'm worried we're not going to have enough physicians. And so we're doing a lot to try to address that burnout with our nurses and our physicians. We, I think it's got to be done across the country in terms of healthcare. It's not an Elmhurst issue. It is a countrywide issue. But if, if we can't help people feel supported and, um, and help them get control of their lives, we're gonna lose our doctors and we're gonna lose our nurses. So I, if the community can do anything to thank, to support doctors and nurses, particularly because people rallied in the beginning, but 
right now, everybody's so burned out, it's hard to rally to help others. And I, I would ask that if you know a nurse or you know a physician in the community, please thank them. Please tell them how important they are and encourage them not to leave the profession. Well, those are great observations. And I, I agree with you early on during the pandemic, there was a lot of support shown outwardly for healthcare professionals and and we all got kind of complacent with that. So uh, that that's a good reminder, Pam, to thank your uh, your friends that are nurses, doctors, anybody in the healthcare profession, whether it's support folks or or medical professionals. And uh, I want to say, uh, Marcy, it's been great getting to know you, and uh, you uh, you really impressed me with your your knowledge of your job and your enthusiasm. And, and Pam, uh, good for you for uh, finding somebody that's uh, so competent and excited about their job. Thank you. Thank you. And you ladies have a great rest of your day. Thank you for spending time with us here today. And Pam, I look forward to talking to you next month and hope the numbers are better. I agree. I hope they're better. And I thank you for continuing to provide this information to our community because it is really valuable, I think. And unless you're in the hospital, you don't know what's happening. So this is very valuable information. I can imagine. Thank you, you, ladies. Thank you. The E-Town Lowdown brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right, nine feet in diameter. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.